I'm Sam. I'm Josh Evans. And this is Fall Risk. Welcome back to Fall Risk, uh, listeners. Today we've got Josh Evans of the Content Clearinghouse, his own, his podcast, the Content Clearinghouse, on the show again for the third time, for the third time ever. We are talking about a big event that you just went to, that you just got back from. Um, what is that event called? Uh, it was the Elsinore Echelon event. It was hosted by Andy Malchiotti and Matt Fry. It was uh, basically 40 of the best, world's best skydivers doing these crazy sequential formations, things that I had never even imagined, and I can get into it a little bit more later, but it was amazing. It was one of the coolest skydiving things I've ever done. That's cool. Uh, you might have just said this, and I probably missed it while I was opening up my notes, but where was this located at? Uh, Skydive Elsinore. Skydive Elsinore, okay. Is that where this uh, this event is always held, or does it move around the country? Uh, I think it's local there. Uh, Andy Malchiotti, um, back in the day, he was pretty much stationed at Elsinore. Um, I kind of get the feeling that he moves around and does events all over the place now, but I think this Echelon event has been kind of like an Elsinore exclusive, kind of like okay. a, a home team event for him. And there's always a lot of uh, local like Cali skydivers there because it's basically like one of the premier drop zones in the state of California. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, so first off, what is Echelon? Like you gave a little bit of a brief rundown, but like in your own words, what what is the goal of this event? What's the purpose? So this is the first time I've been to this event, um, but I kind of get the feeling that that Echelon is Andy and Matt's uh, kind of like their testing ground for a lot of new sequential uh, concepts and ideas, like crazy ideas out of their playbook, just insane formations that if you look at them on paper or they even had... 3d renderings of these formations that can move around you look at them and i just felt like oh these break like all the fundamental rules of what i've been taught about formation flying over the years and uh it seems like you know it's just and it's an event for them to take the palette of these 40 some odd amazing skydivers and use them to make these insane formations and get these crazy pictures things that almost look wrong when you look at them in the pictures, but it's all perfectly engineered. And I have the feeling also that from this event, they take a lot of the concepts and start applying them when they start doing world records, you know, playing the next record, different kind of build orders and build geometry. Uh, mm -hmm. Other than just building, you know, your traditional base with pods and bridges on it, just uh, expanding that idea and trying to find new geometry that works that may be faster to build or stronger once it's built. Okay, interesting. Uh, so we talked, you, you did just talk a little bit about, or I guess, so you, you mentioned how they're trying to expand on like these ideas that are rolling around in their heads, how they're trying to push, you know, the limits of like what we think is, you know, normal or uh, is possible in, in the world of like formation skydiving. You know, what kind of it reminds me a little bit of is on our last episode, we talked about how in cutaway and drop zone, like these guys are, were basically just given license to do whatever it was that they were thinking about, like all these cool ideas that they'd had trapped in the back of their minds. It sounds like this is kind of a little bit 
of a similar, you know, like journey or an, or a similar path. And it, and it really rings true too, because aren't these the guys that put on or that created hex? Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. That's Andy's yeah, yeah. movie. So, so it's a little bit, it's a little bit similar in that, you know, like they're getting really creative. They have a creative background. They're very um, interested in, in making new things for skydiving. You know, um, they're very much, I feel like they're at a point, I mean, they must be at a point in their skydiving careers where like this is all possible. Like it's right at their fingertips, you know, and it's, um, they're at the point where they're starting to get experimental in, in flying rather than just getting good at what's already, you know, there. It's kind of interesting. And that's kind of been uh, what Andy has done for years, at least from what I've seen him do, because he's been at the forefront of uh, MFS. In fact, when we formed our MFS team, our objective was to try to beat Andy's team. I've been Mm -hmm. competing against Andy for probably like, I don't know, maybe 15 years now. The very first competition I ever went to with Mike Silva we competed against Andy Malchioti and his teammate, Travis Fianaghi. And competing against them and seeing them fly was so inspirational to me. That was one of the reasons that I wanted to go down a competition path. I wanted to be as good as those guys, and I wanted to try to beat them. And in all my years of trying, the only time I ever beat Andy was when he was competing with one of his students. So I've always been just... a two or three points shy of beating him when he's at his full strength with all of his uh, world-class teammates. But that was, you know, that's been one of my goals forever. And maybe it's something that I'll hopefully get to revisit one day if I ever form another competitive team. Okay. Well, so I've only ever met Andy one time and I doubt he would remember this. This was years and years and years ago at an angle camp. Um, when people in our area were just starting to get really, really into it, you know, and, uh, we, a handful of us went down to, uh, skydive Arizona for a camp and he ended up leading our group one day. Um, that's the only time I've ever met him. It's the only time I've ever had any, uh, communication with him whatsoever. And, um, it was a really, like, we went fast. Like, that was the name of the game that day. It was just, like, go as fast as you can. <laughs> like, that, that's it. Um, we did some, you know, formation stuff. We did some turns. We did some, like, slot switches and stuff like that. But for the most part, it was, like, just go as quick as you can. And then by the next day, it was, like, oh, <laughs> oh, look at us. Like, we, we're actually where we need to be. Oh, <laughs> we're actually making it to where, you know. So it was a, it was a really good experience, but I've only ever had the one. And um, everything else that I've, I've ever heard about him has always come from secondhand information. He sounds like a really interesting guy who has a ton of experience and has a ton of, like, knowledge and, like, um, a very creative mind, you know. Uh, so it'll be interesting to talk a little bit more about this and, like, the ins and out of the event and, like, how they, how they organize things, what they want to do with it, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, he's a – he is probably one of the best dudes in skydiving. I mean – Okay. I think he pretty much knows anything you need to know. You know, he does tandems, he competes, he does these sequential organizations. Um, I, I would assume he does AFF. I, I, he just seems like the kind of guy that does everything in skydiving, and mm-hmm. uh, he's world class at all of it. Okay, good. Good to know. Good for anyone who's listening. Good to know. Um, how many years has this event been held? So I was under the impression that uh, it had been going on for uh, 
maybe like 10 or 15 years. Uh, in 2009, I actually attended an event at, at Elsinore with Andy, and I was under the impression that it was an Echelon event. But uh, I talked to some of the people there, and they, and they said, like, oh, no, Echelon hadn't started quite yet. I think it may have started somewhere around, like, 2012, 2013. So I think what I mm-hmm. had attended back in the day was, like, a precursor to Echelon. It was a sequential event, but in those days, about the most technical thing we did, uh, it was, like, an 8- or 10-way alley-oop. So we had, like, mm-hmm. a big round formation, and we broke it apart in two two places and one half of that formation carved a circle inside the other half. And as we came around 180 degrees, the inside switched to the outside. And then we came back around and reformed the round. And I remember when we did that, I was like completely blown away because I'd never seen anything like that. But now that just seems like a child's play formation compared to what they're doing. It like that would barely even register because it's so simplistic Mm -hmm. in comparison to what we were flying, uh, two weekends ago. I mean, just from your description, I think I know what, I think I've seen videos of like what it is you're talking about. And then watching the videos that were coming out of this event just this last week, like completely different, like com- like next level. So that, that prompts my next question is how in your, or in your opinion, how has this uh, event grown from like its start to now? Like how has it changed in, in what it is that the goal was or the type of flying that it is that we're seeing? Is it changing every year or is it the same stuff every year? And like, we're going through big phases, like how, what's the, what's the progress like essentially? So I think they hold it uh, four times a year, three or four times, uh, Mm -hmm. two times a year they'll do 40 ways. And then the other events they'll do 20 ways. But Mm -hmm. the biggest change that I've seen in the videos that have come out recently, and then also the things that we were doing was, kind of the disregard for levels so mm-hmm. typically on a formation skydive you know when you start getting above like 10 or 12 people basically if you have a base and people stinging on it you'll build it where the base is setting the fall rate and then the first stingers will be one head level lower than the base mm-hmm. and then so on and so on the further out you get so you know when you from a head down position when you're looking at it it looks like a stadium i mean that's just you know that standard uh, belly fly formation technique and it's been adopted by free flying but what they were doing here with was things like building a, a base and then building whacker lines that would connect to other formations and then sinking the base mm-hmm. out so it was an ex- extremely bizarre visual <laughs> i flew in the base for quite a few of the formations and we were we'd be 15 or 20 feet below the head down formation mm-hmm. that was above us. And sometimes we would have lines coming together and building over the base. So there would be essentially like pieces of the formation that were in the burble of, of the lower sections of the formation. And we got mm-hmm. some really cool photos. They, they said at the beginning of this event, what they really wanted was a picture that made it look like those level changes were intentional. Cause mm-hmm. I think they've done, uh, the last few events they've been experimenting with things like this and not that I know this for sure, but it kind of sounded like they hadn't got like a still frame that made it look like, Oh yeah, that's completely all on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think there was one jump, uh, they called it a telescope. And I believe it, if a picture is submitted that shows that intentional level change, it's going to be that one. It was a, uh, an eight way head up base 
and it was connected by two lines of three people that were angled up. And so instead of having uh-huh. their grips down low, they had one grip above their head and one grip down by their waist. So like it created a stair, a stair step. step. Yeah. And then yep. above that round, the eight-way round, there was a, I mm-hmm. think it was like 20-something head down flyers. So it's like a telescope. You mm-hmm. know, you, you extend one lens away from the other. Yeah. And so that formation was, to me, the coolest thing I've ever seen in the sky. Because it just seemed mm-hmm. like it broke all the fundamental rules. But that's what you can do when you're at the level these guys are at. And when you have the, you know, yeah. the the talent that was there, you can say like we're intentionally going to you know break these rules because a lot of them just exist to make this stuff easier but when everybody mm-hmm. knows it's going to happen and everyone is at that skill level i mean that's like where that that real pro- progress comes from mm-hmm. that's actually an interesting way to think about it you know like the, all of these things we, you say we can't do certain things it's just to make all the other stuff easier sequentials you know formations like it's all just to make it simpler so it all works but yeah, like you're right. That's that's not something I've ever thought about. But when everyone does the right thing, it's not about just nailing what we know is possible. It's about now pushing how we can, you know, change things to like do the do the next thing or, or evolve a little bit more. Like that's that's actually a great way to think about that. I like that. And they I still write that down actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, man, there's so many things that happen from from this weekend that I want to write down. Um, they still we're preaching like good basic fundamentals like level slot doc i mean obviously mm-hmm. on the on the personal scale each person doing their own little thing those rules still apply but then once you start getting further into the the sequential then you start doing things like sinking the base out and making these insane formations because you wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to build these things the way they look in the final photo you still need mm-hmm. to build it with like proper fundamentals and people need to be highly experienced with like formation flying, getting to and making the proper approach, getting there as fast as possible, docking, building in that classic stadium style, and then making with this big 40 way formation, making an inter move that allows it to stretch out and become three dimensional. Yeah. That's like, it's super cool to think about and it's fantastic to watch too as well. But I wish there were, I mean, again, these are the hubs that, that this is all happening at where everyone is the best of the best, you know, and all they do is live, breathe, and, and eat skydiving, you know, so it's it's a little different, but I wish I, someday I hope I have a, a chance to participate in something like this. I mean, still got to learn quite a bit, you know, on my way there, but someday I I hope to be able to participate in an event in an event that is really pushing you know what's possible in in skydiving <laughs> ah, i'm like trying to wrap my head around it <laughs> it's nuts all right um so you said this is your first time at this event at this event right yep uh how did you get the invite uh so actually i didn't realize i found out when i got there is invite only but oh. i've just been I've been friends with Andy for a long time and I've always wanted to go to this event. So I just texted him and asked him, Hey, uh, do you have any slots available? And he told me, yes, you should definitely come. But I don't think that that's the way it usually goes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's probably only because of the, the competition that he and I have had. Um, yeah. I, I think if, if we hadn't like ex- 
explicitly made our team with the intention of trying to beat him and then almost beating him, which we never did, mm. but at least threatening the team, I don't think that it, it would have worked that way. I think I probably okay. would have had to, uh, you know, you know, done other events with the organizers or I think being a local helps because, you know, you get to fly with those guys all the time. Yeah. Well, I did see some familiar like jumpsuits in there too as well. Um, people that I know have in the last few years, like really accelerated, uh, their experience with um or leveled up their experience with formation skydiving um I was surprised to see a couple of the the jumpsuits there you know because I was like oh wow that person has really been putting in you know like the the effort and the and the time um so uh it's it's I think it is more achievable in, than some people think I think I, I would say I guess just based on who I saw you know in those formations I think it's more achievable than than you would think but it is very much about like you said you know knowing the right people being around those people flying with those people at other events but in terms of time you know like time in the sport or time at uh these particular events like it doesn't need to be 10 years you know if you if you apply yourself over a over a certain amount of time, I think you could probably, you probably achieve it, you know, achieve I, getting to something like this. I think there were a few people there that uh, had, you know, maybe fifteen hundred jumps and four or five years in the sport, which is just that's kind of a testament to like the difference in era that we're in right now from when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know the the wind tunnel, obviously, uh, my uh, my secret weapon that I can't stop uh, <laughs> preaching about anytime I talk about skydiving. But I think that, you know, everybody knows that the tunnel is the way to mm-hmm. do these things. But also yep. the fact that the sport has evolved so much that the people that are going to teach you this new, these new skills have, you know, 10, 15 years of experience to call upon. And that's how you can get somebody with five years in the sport that's doing this crazy stuff. I, th- mm-hmm. I think kind of the general approach though to get to an event like this would be doing record camps at a minimum um possibly being on records because mm-hmm. it seems like oh a world record is like a much higher uh goal than doing a sequential event but after having done both i can tell you that there's they're very different as far as what you need to do to get there like on a record you yeah. need to go to a bunch of camps you need to get in front of a bunch of different organizers and then you're selected on, on each skydive. You're basically like you're flying for your slot every single time. Mm-hmm. And if you mess it up, you get cut. But that teaches you so much about discipline. It teaches you about formation flying and you meet a bunch of the organizers, people that make these decisions. And then an event like Echelon was, it was essentially like everyone is here because we ask you to be here and everyone has the skills so you're not like at risk of getting cut. You're just mm-hmm. basically, you know, you're trying to do the best you can because you don't want to let everyone down. You know, there's mm-hmm. an expectation for you when you're there. And also, if you do make some mistakes, like for instance, I made some mistakes. So I, I can talk about them at some point. But uh, they just debrief everything and they're like, you know how this game works. Just fix this mm-hmm. problem and then get out there and do it on the next one. And they expect you to step up and, you know, not have that problem again. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, let's talk about multi-level formations for a second. Um, what what are they? Like, so you've talked a little bit about, like, 
you've talked about it like just demonstrating with your hands and like uh like just for me so i can see what's going on um that doesn't come across on audio yeah right (laughs) so so multi-level formations what are they like how would you define that uh because this is like uncharted territory to some extent um are they 3d dives are they multiple discipline skydives like what is a multi-level formation it was everyone that i that we flew and the ones i've seen video of they're all sequential skydives so like i said you can't really build these things the way the final picture looks you need to take a bunch of steps in free fall to get there. The first step is you would just build a traditional formation. You know, it could be mixed with head up and head down, which most of these were. And then you have an enter just like you would in a, uh, a competition block. So you would have some set of movement. And typically these movements would be like uh, breaking apart two pieces on opposite sides of the formation and flying them together to form maybe like an S. Or uh, it might be breaking apart the stingers on the base and opening them up into a big round that's Mm -hmm. connected to the base by a few people. And then the second part of that enter would be the level change. So Mm -hmm. what we were doing uh, in the base is once that movement was cued, we would basically all just max it out and speed up and try to go as far as we could uh, based on fall rate, how fast we can make the base go, and also how far we could stretch between the people that were going to be on different levels. Yeah, and okay, then, so that makes sense. Oh, and then once it got there, we usually had, you know, five to ten seconds of flight time left, as well as about that much time before it started to develop some weird waves or something that luckily came right around breakoff. And, you know, you just we got the picture, we got awesome video, and break off and go. Okay. What, um, okay. So two questions. Uh, I guess the first one's not really a question. I was going to ask you to define sequentials for anybody that doesn't know on, on that's listening to this podcast, but you kind of, you kind of gave a good synopsis of what that, what that's supposed to be in the first half of, of your explanation. Um, it's just to, just to be clear, right. For myself and for everybody else, sequentials are a formation and an enter and then another formation, right. And they're usually all at the same level, but they can be in different orientations and sit or head down or both or, you know, either or, right. It kind of depends on the complexity too. I mean, you could have a sequential where you do five or six points, you know, if you're just doing, you know, at your home DZ, if you're doing like, you know, a four or six way and you're like, we're going to build this, then we're going to build this, then we're going to build this. That's a sequential. We are, okay. We're just so, doing it on a much grander scale, 40 people. Okay, so then I guess another another question for, to make the distinction. What's the difference between like four-way and a sequential? Um, I mean, at its, at its heart, four-way is essentially a sequential, but it's just yeah. kind of put into a competition frame. Okay. Where with four-way, the objective is do as many of these formations as fast as possible, which honestly, okay. that's a sequential. But a big way sequential is typically a little bit more complicated. And, you know, the, the ones we did had like three points total. Okay. It was really build the primary formation, make some sort of movement to get to the final formation, and then hold the final formation. Okay. So just for anybody that's listening and to anybody that doesn't understand, the hair, the heart, hair hi, hierarchy, excuse me. There it is. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> hierarchy. I, can't, I still can't say, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the breakdown of all these different types of disciplines, four-way is at the very bottom, right? Base, like the base version of formation skydiving, right? Four-way. Uh, then we move on to like big, big way formations, 
right? So we're all trying to get to one specific spot, one specific like uh, formation all on the same level, whether it's um, mixed formation or whether it's all head up or head down, that's formation skydiving, big ways, right? And then sequentials can be a large group of people, but we are moving in between each formation, each point essentially, right? And then from there, we go on to multi-level formations, which are no longer at the same level where everyone is on, on, on level with each other across the formation. Now we are intentionally splitting levels with only parts of the group at a time, right? Yeah, that sounds just about that a, right. That's yep. a good breakdown. Okay, yeah. cool. So, so what what is what I anticipate happening is someone's listening to this uh, podcast and trying to like formulate or visualize what it is that's happening in their head, and <laughs> they're losing it. I am the type of person where I have to see it in front of me to understand how it's supposed to go together. Um, sometimes I can figure it out just in my head, but once I see it, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it, I understand. Now I have that association. So for anybody that is currently listening like that's that this is for you that explanation is for you (laughs) (laughs) all right uh the second question was um how high are you guys going from like what altitude were these jumps happening at uh day one we were doing 12.5 which i was kind of surprised by um and then day two and three we were doing two plane formations from 16,500 feet Okay. So those were O2 so when, jumps. Okay. So when you say you were surprised, it was because it wasn't enough? It was too low? Uh, I mean, I'm used to jumping in Colorado, 12.5. Uh, but okay. to me, that always seems like it's a little bit low. The reason we go to yeah. 12.5 here is because of the density altitude. If you go to 13, you're basically over 17,000 feet, which is where you need supplemental O2. And I can okay. guarantee you the local drop zone isn't going to give you that for a uh, just a standard skydive. So twelve yeah. five is kind of where we where we tap out here in Colorado. But I grew up doing jumps from thirteen five, and uh, yeah. I was expecting that. But you know, honestly, that extra thousand feet wasn't really a problem on day one. Just the caliber was so high that it's like, oh yeah, you know, we have four less seconds, but we're still gonna like do whatever this skydive is. So you talked a little bit about your history with some of the organizers. You talked a little bit about um, other events that you have maybe been to that are similar, but like in the same vein, is this the very first instance that you've done something like this or have you kind of done a more of a buildup to, to events like this? Well, I've done sequentials in the past, but this thing, I mean, it. I see why they call it echelon. I mean, it was definitely on a whole different level from anything I've done before. And that includes mm-hmm. like world records or competing. I mean, those are both their own kind of like insane challenges when you really think about yeah. it. But this was the the most entertaining. It was super chill atmosphere, but it was also some of the most challenging skydiving I've ever done. And honestly, it was like it was such a shot in the arm for me that it's this event totally revitalized my love for skydiving. Which I already I loved skydiving, but it it's become just a little bit standard for me. With mostly what I'm doing is coaching in the tunnel or coaching in the sky, which is one of my favorite things. But I'd kind of forgotten that skydiving could be this awesome, you know, the <laughs> kind of the feeling that I would get after like a, you know doing nationals or doing a record of some sort, where it's just like this this huge goal you've been working towards. I kind of got that just 
by showing up at this event and doing some skydives with these guys, like that same kind of insane rush and love for skydiving again. I imagine after a certain point of doing the same old stuff over and over again, or even just the same mix of things, you know, randomly through, I, I would imagine you kind of not get bored, but you find yourself, you know, in maybe a rut for a little while. And then something like this happens and you go to, you know, it probably is a very much the energy like recharge you need to get excited about, you know, whatever comes next or trying new things or that's cool. wanting to do I'm more happy. of this. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy for you, man. That's awesome. Um, so tell me about the event itself, like day by day, what happened on the first day or for, I guess before that, how many days was this event? Was it a weekend? Was it? Uh, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Friday was kind of the warm up day. A lot of people didn't even show up until Saturday, but we did. Uh-huh. We we, uh, we showed up. They split us into two groups. Andy took one group. Matt took another group. Um, I was in Andy's group the first day, and they both had identical formations that were just mm-hmm. testing the concepts that were going to be applied in the bigger formations. So the first day we started off with they were like twenty something ways twenty in camera. So we uh, we started off with head down formations. And uh, I knew going into this, I was like, man, I'm not like super current. I've done one skydive this year. And uh, I figured that I was probably going to be the least current person there. But after the first jump, a few people were like, whoa, man, that's a crazy way to get current. I was like, oh, thank God I'm not the only one. Um, But these are all people that just like, you know, flying is in their blood. So it's the kind of thing that I guess people just dust it off and go do these formation jumps. So (laughs) we did uh, each each skydive we did twice and then so we did five jumps a day we started with the head down formation where they were testing uh different uh build theories and then uh jump three and four they started incorporating head up slots into uh into the mix and then jump five was kind of a uh like a one-off you know we just did it once and you know if it built it built if not then you know it didn't really affect much going into day two and then day two, they brought us all together, and we started doing 40 ways. And, uh, you know, that brings uh, it a whole another level of intensity with having a trail plane and having to coordinate uh, the exits between those two planes using O2. Uh, it was a really crazy way to get current, I will say that. And uh, <laughs> those jumps started the same way. We started with head down, which... What I really love about free flying at this point is that head down is your warm up. Because I know go, coming up, like head down was the ultimate for me. I wanted to learn head down more than anything. But now what I preach to my students is head up is really where people are going to judge your flying because that is the most technical and the hardest thing in skydiving at this point. And the way they organized this event was a testament to that because it started head head down and then on jumped uh, three and four that's when they started doing the head up formations and they were taking these little pieces like the uh, different build techniques um, so instead of stinging directly facing the base they had a stinging 90 degrees off kind of like almost like your outface, so they could build mm-hmm. these different types of pods that would connect each other and then uh, on jump three and four when they added head up they started doing the multi-level stuff which we had tested a little bit the day before and then through the the rest of saturday and sunday it kind of followed that same 
progression. They uh, took these concepts, they started building on them. Uh, the only difference was on day uh, day three on Sunday, they're like, fuck it, we're going straight to head up off the first jump. And uh, <laughs> that was, I mean, they at that point, they're like, we know you're all warmed up, so we're, you know, we're running out of event time, so let's start get cracking and get these awesome head up jump 3D jumps finished. Okay. Nice. I, isn't that funny though? How, when you go through your, your own personal progression, you're like, this is my goal. And then you meet that goal and you're like, Oh shit, actually this other part of skydiving is more important or more, or not even more important, but way harder than I was anticipating it being. And I was totally wrong in my expectations and then seeing it for other people, <laughs> like seeing yeah. other people go through that same progression or that same mindset and be like, Hey, actually, <laughs> like, uh, isn't that great? That's fun. Well, that's why the new generation is so good because they can have people telling these things like this is what you really want to focus on, you know. It's how you can I, get people with 1,500 jumps that are doing stuff like this because you get coached by people that know yeah. now like the stronger your sit fly is, the better you're going to be at free flying. It's like mm-hmm. the it's the key to everything. Yep. Yep. Awesome. You kind of you kind of went through the, like the breakdown of the schedule like on a day to day basis, but talk to me about a couple of the jumps that like were really noteworthy. I know you posted videos and you've been posting photos of this all week ever since you got well since you were there really. Um, I've been seeing the updates, but tell me about a couple of the jumps that were just a little bit more noteworthy than the others. I know there was one where you super like. You, you talked about how you made a mistake and then smashed it out and like smashed that, like <laughs> basically made a mistake on exit, I think. Right. Oh, and yeah. then absolutely got back to where you were supposed to be. And like, that was very impressive. And, and, uh, uh, the recovery part of it, you know, was very impressive, but then there were a couple other that you, a couple other, uh, videos that you posted that were, um, uh, you had made comments or in the notes about them, about how, uh, you know, amazed you were at how, how you guys had pulled these jumps off. So tell me a little bit about those jumps and then tell me about why they were so, you know, um, meaningful, I guess, for you. Is that a good word, meaningful? Oh, they were very meaningful. So if you guys want to see some of these videos, I've posted them on my Facebook page. I know that that makes Mm -hmm. me sound like an old person, but it's because I am. (laughs) I don't have an Instagram account set up. So uh, just check out Josh Evans on Facebook. I mean, you can see all these videos from my perspective. Okay. Um, Are they public? It, yeah, it's all public. Okay. And if you're a skydiver, you probably run across a bunch of people posting video. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so going into this event too, I, I've i never done like a head up record or anything like that. So I also asked Andy if uh, I'm I could... I'm surprised by that. Wow. Really? Well, so the reason I never have is because I did several world records and each one is like a two year or a full year commitment to get there. And it's a lot of money and it's pretty stressful. And so I did all that before they started doing the head up records. And then when the head up records came around, I was kind of already burnt out on doing records. So I have not like just made the commitment to go and, you know, do a full year of going to camps and getting in front of the right people. So this was kind of my first real exposure to this type of flying. And I asked Andy before uh, showing up, Hey, is there any chance I could do head up slots? And he told me, well, I kind of have a crew of head up flyers because they're pretty much like the best flyers. There are the head up flyers. They're mm-hmm. just like so amazing. So, uh, okay. he told me if there are extra options or, uh, availability for head up that he would see what he could do, but he didn't promise me anything. So, 
the first two jumps I was on my head, and then on the third jump, he pulls up the drawing, and uh, it's either marked as you know in the in the the diagram, like the head down flyers are circles, and then the head up flyers are circles with a triangle inside of them. And I saw my number up there, and it had a triangle, and I was like, oh my god, he's actually letting me do some zip line. So uh, prior to this, I didn't tell anybody this, but I had only ever really done one six-way head up exit out of a tailgate, and it went really well. So uh, I was in a I was in a head up uh, exit slot. I was on Andy's uh, left. He was uh, center of the formation, and we ran out. It came out perfectly, and I was like, "Oh my god, yes, this is actually going to work," because I was pretty uh, nervous going into it about you know. Mm-hmm. There's so many people riding on every single person doing their job. So I came down from that jump and I was so stoked, like beyond belief. Cause one, he let me try some head up stuff. And also like I, I did really well at it. And then on the second jump, uh, as we stepped out of the plane instantly, my grip with Andy broke. And I don't know if you've had something like that happen in the sky where you're just like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is like such a, this is exactly the place I don't want to be. Everybody's like, everybody's got video on. There's no, there's no hiding this Mm -hmm. and so the exit starts to barn door out which is basically like where the round will open up and form a line and as it does that i'm thinking like oh i can totally fly this back in but on the way back in i get hit from behind by another flyer who had come off of their approach line so Mm -hmm. they just kind of crossed paths with someone else and they were both kind of in each other's blind spots so so one of them got corked out and they flew in boom hit me in the back and when that happened i like i drop my grip on the base. I got ejected. And then on this mm-hmm. video, you can see, I look down and you can see him ping pong back into the, the wave of people approaching and mm-hmm. eject someone else. And so I thought like, man, this jump is totally blown. And, uh, I flew down, I got back in there pretty quick. And, uh, the amazing thing was even with all that from 12, five, we still completed the skydive. Like that's how, that's how <laughs> amazing everyone is. Like everybody's just like waiting you know, they all have great fundamentals. As soon as the opening is there, everybody converges back on it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, like, oh, yeah, that's that was my shot, and I'm not going to be uh, doing any more head up, which mm-hmm. is totally fine. The rest of the day, I was, in, uh, I was in head down slots. And then on day two, on the third jump, we started doing head down. He had me in head down – or a head up. He had me in a head up slot again. And I was like, oh, my God. there's <laughs> This is like – it's, it's what I wanted, but this is the most stressful I think a skydive has ever been because now I'm just coming off of a failure. Uh, mm-hmm. I've only done three of these ever, and one of them was bad, so that's not you know it's not great odds, and it's a small <laughs> sample size. And so also we have 40 people now. Everyone's on these mm-hmm. O2 jumps. It takes 40 minutes to get out, dude. You know, everybody, it's like it's a whole different game. But mm-hmm. – uh, a few of the other guys in the base gave me some uh, some tips about like the way the grips should be formed. They have this thing called tiger claw, where you bring two hands together with the fingertips. Yeah. Yeah. You grab on, it builds like basically like a rock solid head up grip. And uh, they showed me a little bit about like timing coming out with the base. And with those tips, uh, for the rest of the rest of the event, all of our exits came out perfectly. Uh, the only the only issue was I realized when we started sinking out the base and speeding up faster than the head down flyers that 
wearing a jumpsuit was not going to work for me. So I ended up having to strip my jumpsuit off and just go, uh, uh, shorts and a Jersey. But once, okay. once I made that change, everything else was like pretty much the most effortless flying and, uh, just teamwork and everything was just so on point after that. I want to ask you a question about your mindset when something like that happens. Cause I think a lot of people can relate to that and, but are maybe a little bit flabbergasted by the fact that it's coming out of your mouth <laughs> of all people. Um, uh, as someone who is so, uh, well known, what's the right, what's the phrase I want to use here? As someone who is so well-versed and experienced and talented in so many different areas of skydiving, for you, for you to say things like that about how I made a mistake and this is how I felt about it, you know, like it, it is a surprise for a lot of us peons to hear, (laughs) I guess. And, um, I think that it's, useful and helpful for people because I know a handful of people like this right now who are who are so wrapped up mentally in like their failures or that are really uh, struggling uh, mentally with things that they're not getting flying wise you know and just some of these basic you know flying type or flying disciplines I guess um can you elaborate a little bit more on where your head's at and why it's important to still kind of um give yourself grace I guess as you no matter how far along you get you know in your progression yeah I think um well I think one of the big problems that would lead to that kind of mindset of like holding your failures against yourself is thinking that everyone is so concerned about you all the time like that's something I learned a long time ago it's like on jumps like this, what you really want to be is you want to be the gray man. You want to be someone that nobody notices because if they're noticing you, you've either done something exceptional, which rarely happens or you're fucking something up. So that's like one of the mindset (laughs) things that I use on formations like this. Like no matter what's going on, I just want to do like my little piece of the job and I want to do it so well that nobody could have any complaints with it. But with that also, uh, part of being able to like shake off something like that is, understanding that what people are judging you on is it is your track record, but also like what really matters is the last skydive you did. So, um, if you have, if you know you made a mistake like that, if you understand how to fix it and everyone knows like, okay, we've seen you fly a lot and you never made this mistake before on this last jump, you had this problem. So we're going to be watching you and, you know, you might get some unsolicited advice or something, which is completely fine. But making the goal of, I want to make this next skydive kind of erase that from everyone's memory. Because right now, this is what most people are thinking about my flying is like, oh, this guy just fell out on a head up skydive. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you want to kind of erase that mindset. But I think yeah. a lot of it outside of that is just like ego. Um, this kind of goes back to thinking like, everyone is so concerned about what you're doing as long as you're doing your job. I mean, that's like to, that's the most impressive thing to people is that, you know, you can be like an effective cog in the machine and you can do what you need to do. And I think to things like competition help a lot with that. You know, uh, I know that from competition where you like, if you have a bad comp round, the, the ability to shake that off and say, okay, we want to, kind of 
we need to erase that from our mind and we need to erase that from everyone else's mind by doing well on the next skydive. And you never know if someone else is going to have a blowout. So you can't just assume like, oh, we just lost the whole competition because we did bad once. Because mm-hmm. the other team might do bad once. And that's why mm-hmm. it takes place over eight rounds. You know, So there's the option, you know, that availability for it to go back and forth. That's a fair way to look at it, you know. Um, try not to think. I guess while you were talking, I was running through different ways of saying it to like people I know who are having issues with it right now. Like I've had a couple of conversations just recently with folks who are venting and fr- being frustrated about making mistakes on on skydives that are pushing the the envelope for them, or maybe their tunnel flying skills. You know, like their flight progression. They they feel like they're hitting a wall, or they've made a mistake, and they they don't know how to overcome that mistake or you know like they're they're doing really well and all of a sudden they make a mistake and now they're back at square one you know so I think it's um what you just said is kind of an interesting way to think about it about how like you just need to make it better like the next thing better than the one you just did you know especially in a competition sense because I I know what I think and what I say to myself in that situation, when I make a mistake or we blow around or we blow like whatever, whatever uh, thing we just did, we just blew it. My next step is I need to level up and mm-hmm. make up for whatever it is that I just did. You know, I don't necessarily th- tell myself like you just need to be better than you were this last time. You don't. You, I always think about how I have to double down, you know, to compensate for whatever mistake I just made. So that's a that's a really nice way to think about it. I think like what you just explained. Um how you just need to do better than you did the last time. Uh, you don't necessarily need to go above and beyond where you were two jumps ago or two rounds ago, you know? So now, Even if it's just incrementally better. But you know what? Yeah. I think that uh, as a teacher, I think these mistakes are really important because, one, they show you that no matter what you're doing with your students, that you are still also a student. And I think a uh, forever student mindset is the key to – actually being amazing at this sport. Um, I I think a lot of people look at flying, like, I don't know, they look at head down or say like, oh, that's like the finish line. But really, that is the starting line. Like you're not even, you're not even starting to fly until you know all these things about flying. You're, with students in the tunnel, like I will teach them, you know, we're going to do like two years of training you know, every single week we're going to fly to get you to this point where you're essentially like a pro flyer. You can fly VFS, you can fly dynamic, all this stuff. And that is when your training will actually start. You know, like all of that <laughs> is like preschool. And then yeah. when you are, become a pro flyer, that's when you actually l- start learning how to skydive properly, how to how to free fly and the right, you know, the, the mindset of brushing off failures and things like this. But those mm-hmm. failures are so important as a teacher because – they give you like they give you a perspective on what people might be feeling when they you know they either feel like they're letting you down when they're flying or they let themselves down and also mm-hmm. you know like it's kind of like being a dad also one of the most important things for uh teaching your kids to not beat themselves up over failures is you got to give them like an example of when you did something that was even worse mm-hmm. and so some of those that i've used in skydiving the first one was just failing my level three in AFF. That was one of the most useful tools when I became an AFF instructor because I could just tell people, like, you don't, you know, they, I'm sorry I have to give you this news that we're going to have to repeat this jump, 
But in the long run, that doesn't mean anything because I failed my level three and I'm your instructor now. So clearly you don't have to let that stop you because a lot of people will beat themselves up over that. And then um, a few other things that have happened that uh, were really important. One was I knocked myself out in the wind tunnel when I had about, uh, I don't know, when I'd worked at the wind tunnel for about six months, I, uh, I was pinned out on the net head down. And for some reason, even though I'd never tried this before, I tried to belly out and do a backflip and I just flew right into the wall. I, uh, I hit the wall and I was kind of dizzy. I, I got out and I flew into the antechamber and sat down, just lights out. And, uh, when I came to, everybody's like fanning me. And I was thinking like, <laughs> I, oh, the first thing I said was, what are you guys all doing in my house? And then they were like, immediately <laughs> we're going to the hospital. So that was really important because one, it taught me like, you know, there are some important steps you need to take in the tunnel, but also that, you know, those things can happen in the tunnel and yeah. you need to work towards prevention with all of that. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, also had an incident when I was a AFF instructor uh, this is when I had like 50 AFFs and I just started doing level six and seven. And uh, for some reason I flew in to try to redock with a level six, even though you're not supposed to do that. And I came in hot. I burbled her. She did a backflip and deployed. And as she deployed, it went through her legs and exploded and blew her helmet off. And uh, it was totally my fault. But, you know, I think you need those things so you have like a well of mistakes that you've made to draw on when mm-hmm. you are teaching people about things that you want to avoid, but also how to brush this stuff off and how to move forward. Yeah. Because even yeah. through all of those things, you know, the important thing is that you live, you don't kill anybody else, and that you learn enough that you can go do something like, you know, a record or competition or an echelon mm-hmm. event one day. That's gnarly. Those, those are gnarly stories. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing them. Um, you said something kind of interesting about how you're never going to not be a student, you know, like not, not being a student or never. I can't remember how you phrased it. Forever never student. not being a, yeah, you're a forever student. Right. And that's the only way you're going to be really good at all of this. Like later on, um, that's, that is a, that is a great phrase that not enough people have in mind. You know, I feel like when I was a younger skydiver and I see it in other people's, uh, these days too, as well, where they're like, Oh, if I could just get this one skill, then I'll make it. Then I'll have made it, you know, the finish I'll line. Have made it. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's when I know I'm like this fucking, you know, but then you get there and you're like, you don't even realize it, but you get there. And then there's another thing that you have to like tackle, you know, or there's another, uh, level that you have to push towards. Um, and I feel like people constantly have this attitude of, of like, once I get head down, I'll have made it, you know, once I get back flying down and I'm a sit flyer, like then I'll have made it, you know, and I know I've, you know what I mean? So it would be a curious thing to ask people like Andy, Andy, Mel- how do you say his last name? I always Mal-Kiyote. mispronounce it. Mal- um, it would be interesting to ask him that same question about what his attitude is like, because this, I mean, I think we can agree like this is this guy is kind of the pinnacle of like pushing you know pushing the boundaries and pushing like the limitations of what we think is possible with with flying um I would be curious to think to know what it is he has to say about a concept like that because I would I would suspect it's pretty similar but maybe just a little he has a little bit more to expand on on that idea you know um I'd love to hear you interview him one day 
I mean, <laughs> I wish I could pick his brain about that stuff. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh <laughs> like I'm, I'm here right now. Stretch goal, feel, stretch goal. I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, people of that caliber, you know, who are very much professional skydivers, like not like me who get paid to take people on jumps, but people who are professional skydivers who don't are, do that. You know what I mean? You like, could, you, you're good. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm concerned that maybe, um, like I have, a, I have a handful of people that I would love to talk to someday and would love to have on the show, but, uh, I'm concerned that I don't have anything to give them, you know, in, in return. I don't really have anything to offer them on the other, like it, it would be very much them doing me a favor not necessarily the other way around. So. Well, I think you're a great interviewer and you ask awesome questions that spark really interesting skydiving conversations. And I think that's what most skydivers want. It's talk about skydiving. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Moving on though. I don't don't know what to do with compliments like that. Stretch goal. Interview Andy. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. Andy, if you, if you listen to this, I would love to, to chit chit chat a little bit more about you know some of the going ons in your in your brain about how it is you're you're seeing events like this and how you're formulating these ideas and you know the and the like so if you hear this (laughs) (laughs) hit me up (laughs) anyway all right uh moving on I just want to know out of curiosity it's always hard to tell like genders of people on jumps and stuff like that um were there any women on this event yeah yeah I think there were maybe seven or eight Women's category. Okay. Yeah. Nice. It it's so hard to tell, and like the people that were the closest, I only recognized a couple of couple of jumpsuits. So it was like, huh, I wonder. Just out of curiosity. I mean, skydiving is definitely like a a dude sport, but what's cool mm-hmm. about it is that, you know, I think we talked about this before. Is gender doesn't really play a role in how good you can be because it's not a strength sport. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's all it's like a mind sport, and that's what's great about. Uh, I mean, like with skydiving, like mixed gender and even in competition there's no there's no differentiation between like oh this is the women's league it's like that because it's not like that that's what's i mean actually i think one of the one of the girls i think she was one that only had like 1500 jumps and okay that's uh i think the reason there's like a disparity in the number of men and women is just because there's more dudes that do it you know in general because it's like a it just draws like a certain person to it and i think more of those people are probably like testosterone laden guys that actually brings up kind of an interesting thought so so what i will say is it seems like across the board women in skydiving work women working in skydiving women just being in skydiving there seems to be like a mental shift that's happening amongst women in general like the people the women that i've talked to anyway in that they're they're more confident they're more ball, like they're just more ballsy in general, you know, about what their own skill set is like and like what they're capable of doing. And like it, just across the board, it seems like there's a there's a general shift happening where it used to be very much a. Well, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm OK to do this, like, you, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's now it's shifted to like, nah, I got this, like I can do this, like what do I need to, to get this done? Like, here's my goal. How do I how do I how do I get there? Like, tell me. Um but Nate Roth actually said something to me. It was during one of the spring tunnel camps when Skydive Twin Cities, like the whole big group of them, used to go out to Skydive Sky Venture when it was still 
when it wasn't an iFly. The golden era. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we used to go out there and I had expressed interest in potentially being a tunnel instructor one day. And this was like years before it ever even came to fruition. And Nate Roth had actually told me, he's like, there's a reason you see a lot of men in this and not a lot of women. And it's because we have ego. It's because we don't like second guess whether or not we can do this. <laughs> and like. Mind sport uh, game. He, yeah, he had, he had said so much, or he had said very, um, very specifically, like, that we don't see a lot of women go through FITP. And, like, FITP was a totally different bag back then, right? Like, some, t- some people were paying for it out of pocket. Some people, you know what I mean? Like, it was a totally different, like, situation there. There was, like, the fitness test and all that stuff. Um, but he had basically brought it down to like this one point of like a lot of women second guess themselves. And that's why you don't see too many going for it in general. And I was like, that's a fair assessment. So it's kind of cool to see more and more women like at events like this, you know, um, uh, pushing, pushing the envelope, more confidence, like more, you know what I mean? Like it's just from, from a woman's standpoint, it is pretty cool to see more and more women, you know, evening out the, you know, the odds on, on, uh, uh, evening out the ratio, I guess, you know, totally. I say, I, I say that in quotations cause it's not really evened out. That but just makes more. the sport <laughs> better for everybody though. I mean, it's like, that's just more awesome people to hang out with. You know, there's no reason yeah. that it should be exclusionary in any way. Skydiving is like completely open to any human that wants to get there. Really the only thing standing between you and being awesome at skydiving is time training and a shitload of money. That's totally fair. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> um, so of these skydives, of these echelon jumps, right, this, this event you were just at, what was the hardest part across the board, like, to make these jumps possible? Like, what is the hardest component of these jumps to make it work? Well, I think that's probably the organizing, which is, like, those guys are on such a different level. Um I think I've expressed it before. I think I might have talked about it before on the show. But like, I don't like organizing. I find that to be like an extremely stressful part of skydiving, uh, mainly because you have – it's like to a, a much higher degree, the, the feeling I was thinking of like, oh, I don't want to mess this up because i got 40 other people that are depending mm-hmm. on me doing my little part so they can do their part. But when you're the organizer, it's that, but it's so – so much more important that you're totally on the ball and that you've done your homework. And uh, I know that when we used to go on the boogie tour with Sky Venture, I would get so stressed about organizing because I'm just thinking like, I don't want these people to feel like they wasted their jump ticket. And when you have 40 people that are the best skydivers in the world and you're doing O2 and you're doing uh, multi-plane, there's just mm-hmm. so much dependent on you having planned properly. But luckily, the, these guys are just like total masters of that. Um, like I mentioned earlier, that they have, they had 3D software on the telescope jump. Uh, they were describing it, and you look at the picture, the drawing, and it's like, oh, it doesn't really do it justice. And so they had 3D software that it looked custom made. It had head-up flyers in the base, and then it had the bridges that were at an angle, the people's arms high and low, and then it had the head down round up above it and you could turn it and you could manipulate it and uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see like soon you can like even animate it between points you know things like that but having that kind of level of uh homework going into it and planning it 
and then being able to bring it to all of us and explain it in a way to somebody like me who has not seen these skydives before other than videos and saying mm -hmm. like, these are all the steps we're going to take to get there. And then this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. So on and so forth. And then walking it over and over and over. By the time you get in the plane, I, like I felt like in the plane on the way up, kind of the same mindset that I would have on a competition skydive or on a competition mm -hmm. jump, I'd be running through the dive plan in my head. I'd be closing my eyes and I try to look at it and see it from first person, try to see it from third person, try to see it from an outside video perspective. And then, you know, you dirt dive like that all the way up to altitude and then you get out and you go do the skydive. And it felt just yeah. like that. Just on formation flying, the things that I'm really thinking about are, uh, trying to visualize where my, where my uh, position is going to be in relation to the exit and then mm -hmm. visualizing my uh, my site pictures, the people that I'm using essentially as uh, as references on the way in. So mm -hmm. I usually recreate like like in my mind, I'll create like a zipper approach. Uh, I'll say, you know, this person's on my right. This person's slightly in front of them on their left. This person's slightly in front of him on on the right and I just zipper like that all the way up to the formation and I try to note people's names, the color of their gear, any distinguishing features. So doing all mm -hmm. that on the way to altitude and then you get out and bam, you go fly and you know, it just feels like magic mm -hmm. when it happens. But it all just yeah. comes down to that amazing organizing by those guys. Okay. Probably not something a lot of people think about either. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, unless the you've level. done something like this. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like the le like even just on a regular organ or like a regular you know formation event, you know, like people don't really necessarily think about all the behind the scenes stuff that goes on, you know, the the planning and the formulating and the breaking everything down and explaining it to everybody and their mother about where they're all gonna be at. Like that's a fair that's a fair thing to say because I I would bet money that most people don't consider that they're all just worried about you know. Am I going to be a diver? Am I going to be a, a floater? Am I going to be, you know, like, yeah, that's fair. That was one of my favorite um, things about going to this was the idea of not having to organize and just being mm -hmm. like somebody telling me what to do and just going, you know, purely to fly. That yeah. was really, uh, really cool because most of the high level events that I've got to be a part of uh, in, you know, like the last 10 years, I was organizing in some capacity. I mean, that's, I, I was just really excited to not be doing that and just be flying. Mm -hmm. When you originally told me this was um, about multi-level skydives, right? Multi-level formations. Um, my mind immediately went to that parachutist cover uh, back in the day. I don't know if you ever saw it. Um, it looks like a big ball mm. of people. It's like a drawing, it, it, right? Yeah. It's, yep. it's, so, so people at Paris, I think it was at Paris. Maybe it was at Elsinore. The Paris has a picture of it on the wall in their stu or in their uh, school, like in the front lobby of the school, um, and it's a. I think it's. I think it was at Paris. I could be wrong. It might have been at Elsinore. I'm not really sure, but um, it had a bunch of the Paris skydivers on it or in it, um, and they actually did it. Oh my I God. heard the story. The story was that they did it, but that it didn't stay together for very long. <laughs> um, and it and it's the ball. It's basically where everyone is. Everyone's connect. I can't even begin to explain. I'd have to look at the photo again to see it. Um, They're all like, it's like all cat grips, like hand to feet. Yeah. And then it's, yep. yeah, it's arrayed in three dimensions. Yep. I didn't yeah, know that anybody like ever flew that. It looked, yeah. it didn't look like you could actually fly it. They, they launched it and I think they had it 
for a oh couple of seconds. And I think the story is that it blew up shortly after that, that they I didn't bet. hold it for very long. But I'm not sure exactly on the on the specifics on that. Um, but I know there were a couple of people because I remember looking at the photo with a couple of the other instructors and they were pointing out people who were who were on it. Like, yep, that's Dalton oh and that's this person. This person. I'm like, that is nuts. So my question, and this might be a, a better question for somebody like Andy, who is like at the precipice of like, you know, events like this and, and pushing things, you know. But in your opinion, where do you think these events are going to go next? You know, like, w- is it going to be stuff like that? Is it going to be like forming specific shapes and like, you know, really going to multi-level or 3D formations? Or is it, um, you know, going to just keep pushing the envelope of making these multi-level formations bigger and bigger and bigger so that you can encapsulate more complex, you know, formations in general? My God, I, I, you know what, honestly, I didn't even conceptualize that we'd be doing stuff like what we did. So it's hard for me to imagine where it would go. I mean, if I were to extrapolate, I would say building on these uh, these same concepts, like these multi-level concepts of sinking a base out. But mm-hmm. um, what I think would be awesome would be like flipping pieces in formations like this, like part oh, of the God. formation flapjacking, like the hex. Yeah. I mean, uh, the hex in that movie is basically it's a, a flapjack, so they flip the formation, but one piece of it flips the opposite direction. So, you know, like it's, uh, it's more complex than just four people flipping from head down to sit. Mm -hmm. Uh, and after seeing some of the things they were doing, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that maybe, uh, a part of the formation will flapjack at -hmm. some point. Um, it's so hard to say though. Like my mind is still trying to process the awesome things that we did. And uh, mm-hmm. I think the only way to really know is I'm just going to have to go to more of those events. Yeah. I'm going to try to go at least once a year now. This is going to be yeah. like my my destination event because it was the most awesome thing I've ever experienced in skydiving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could, I mean, from a totally outside perspective of like someone who is light years away from me being able to participate in something like this. I could see it going a lot of different ways. I mean, I, I, I guess when I say I can see it, I can visualize it. I can see like different versions of this happening in front of me, in my mind, you know, like while, you know, just like while I'm sitting on the ground, right. Whether or not they're people are capable of doing this because of, you know, physics or because of, you know, movements or, uh, you know, uh, basically physics because like, you know, like it's trying to figure out how to make it work. Right. Um, whether or not it's, we're capable of doing it as a community is a totally different thing. Um, but I could see it as, you know, like you said, uh, flipping different parts of the formation. I could see it as being, um, you ever, what's a good way. You you know, the sphere, like the, the big metal cage at, uh, like the circus, with the um, oh yeah the motorcycles with the motorcycles right like stuff like that I could see yeah. it being uh, something sir, similar sphere of death yeah where everyone's connected but they're all constantly moving in different you know patterns and different movements and different trails and lines and stuff around 
other pieces of the formation. I could see something like that. I could see things like the the sphere. I don't know what the name of this formation is, but the one that was on Parachutist, the magazine cover. Impossible like formation. That. Yeah, is that what it is? I, I don't know. Okay. That's what it looked like to me. <laughs> um, but I could see things like that in addition to what it is you guys, like combining those different things together. Um, It'd be all about fall rate. It'd be what yeah. can you what can you combine and keep it at similar fall rates? I think it'd be mm-hmm. awesome to see some uh, some formation jumps like this with movement in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen a few jumps where, uh, you know, like lines of people were formed and then other people were mm-hmm. flying through those lines like yeah. flying laps. Um, yep. I've been on a jump where we built a, we built a base and then people shot the shot the hoop through the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, on like a big like 12 way or something and then other people were flying down through the center of it like that stuff is all really cool but i think what it's man the, it's really going to take guys like andy and matt fry yeah. chad ross brian guile those guys out in cali they're just like amazing at the sequential stuff mm-hmm. just having you know like this events like this are kind of like uh it's like a canvas where they can paint these different ideas and bring these new things to life and it's just going to be iterative with guys like that progressing the organizational game and uh, the community bringing up flyers that are good enough to go out and do these things because Mm -hmm. it's hard to say where the sport will even be in 10 years like it's hard to imagine how good the crop of flyers will be a decade from now that's fair don't die skydiving. That way you can be <laughs> part of this yeah. stuff in 10 years. So you That's, can see uh, what what happens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I feel you. Don't. <laughs> this is what, for no other reason. No other reason. That is why you don't do stupid shit in skydiving. So you don't hurt yourself and you don't die. Exactly. <laughs> and you are able to participate in 10 years from now. <laughs> no one is impressed by what... your swoop, especially if you hook in. <laughs> you know what? They are impressed by these skydives. Okay, so that brings up my that brings up my next point is do you think this may might be something like the next angle, you know, discipline? Like like in the last I would say ten years, right? Last ten years, angle has like just skyrocketed in popularity, you know, and is like we've we see lots and lots of um avenues to learn, you know, from like the best of the best. My my guess or my question is is do you think three D dives and multi level formation skydives are gonna be like the next big thing? Or do you I, think I don't it's still know. Kind of in its I feel like it might be a little bit more niche than angle flying. Um, yeah. I mean, angle flying. What's What's cool about it is that it's just so appealing to like even the layman. Like you don't even need to know about <laughs> flying to be like, oh, those guys are flying. You know, you you don't yeah. need to understand anything about skydiving to think you know to think it looks cool. It's kind of like why swooping is so big. You don't need mm-hmm. to be able to fly a parachute to be impressed by people swooping. Uh, you know, unless you're just some standard person on the drop zone, no one's impressed. So don't hook in, but, uh, (laughs) like a competition or something like seeing dudes like drag water and do freestyle stunts that just is automatically appealing to everyone. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to be the same as like angle flying, because I think it is a little bit, uh, it's more specialized, you know, and it's, I guess I shouldn't say angle flying movement jumps, movement jumps. Yeah. Same thing. I mean, it's just like, I don't know if it's as immediately appealing to everyone as that kind of stuff is. Um, Mm -hmm. But I know for people like me that, you know, have like competition background, uh, 
and that have like a strong static flying uh, foundation that this is the kind of stuff I want to see. To me, yeah. uh, formation flying is kind of like it's the heart of skydiving. And it's like it's what I grew up loving, you know, doing big ways and doing uh, sequentials and competition uh, like v- okay. VFS or MFS. And so I would love to see more of this. But I mean, I don't I don't know. I think that it's. I, I would be curious to see how something like this works on a smaller scale, but I think that you mm-hmm. need a really high skill level to do this stuff safely to, mm-hmm. you know, to start staggering levels on jumps. Cause that's kind of something that you are trained not to do. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I hope on this scale we see a lot more of it. Yeah. Me too. Um, I, now I've now that I've been visualizing like in my own just in my own little apartment here about how, things I would like to see. I kind of see, oh man, what's a good example to equate it to? Um, like in science fiction movies, when you see like the um, like the hologram text floating around something, you know, orbiting around like another object. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh yeah right speaking my language with sci-fi yeah (laughs) so i love science fiction movies i've wanted to do a podcast just about science fiction movies for ages and i've tried to get other people involved and they're always like i'm like no come on world building it would be so amazing we could talk about it for hours sounds like you need to come on my podcast (laughs) the content clearinghouse because this is exactly what we do we just uh rave about pop culture and I'm totally down. Just talk about everything that makes a certain piece of content something that you should consume. So if you know a lot bring, about sci-fi, you should come on our show sometime. I would bring science fiction in heaps, in heaps for you. It's most of what uh, I talk about. So, uh, Like science fiction movies or films or TV shows? Or are you talking about just like anything science fiction, like any technological stuff? Anything? Well, I just, I love sci-fi. And so, you know, like what we'll do on our show is we'll, pe- we'll pick a piece of content and then we'll profile mm-hmm. that piece of content with the, ex- the express intention of saying like, you as the listener should consume this and here's why. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've done a lot of, a lot of sci-fi. I think Brett has too, my co-host. And uh, a lot of it comes down to like the world building, like what you're, like what you're talking about. That's one of the greatest things about sci-fi because, yeah. you know, just the, to conceptualize a sci-fi idea, you kind of have to create an entire universal backstory for how technology works and mm-hmm. how the you humans. Have to, you have you can't just gloss over the why, otherwise yeah. otherwise it doesn't make sense. You have to give some sort of explanation, whether it's like beginning exposition or world. But like, anyway, sorry, continue. Sorry, we deep dive into all that stuff. Uh, so you're, I mean, seriously, this is like one of my favorite things, and we could do a whole different podcast right now if you want to. I'm, I, I'm ready whenever you, whenever you want. Uh, one, one that sticks out, like one that my, my dad made me watch when I was a kid, and I, I did not absorb how important it was like when I watched it, and I had to go watch it again, was Metropolis, like the very like first science fiction movie of like all time, you know, like the f- father of science fiction, essentially. Like such a hard watch when I was a kid because it's in black and white. There's like really no sound other than the background music and you're listening, you're watching subtitles and stuff like you're reading it. It, oh man, like that would be a, do a deep dive into that. That would be, oh, 
I would go off the deep end, I think. <laughs> I have not one. seen Metropolis, so oh my you God. should come up with a pitch and sell me on it. Whew, it's you got to like devote two hours of your life to just staring at the screen and not looking away. Otherwise, you will miss it. <laughs> you will miss something important. But I think it was like we watched it at like 10 o'clock at night when I was like 13 or 14. And I was like, Dad, I don't get it. <laughs> and then I watched it as an adult. And I was like, oh, I understand. I get it now. <laughs> That's awesome that you came back to it and like it well, made more sense and you understood why he was wanting you to watch it now. Yeah, yeah. It's I it's a it's a phenomenal movie. It creates like of the time it had some really good special effects in it like for the time, you know. It's a, a super old 20s like black and white film, you know, but it is very much given like credit of like being the thing that kickstarted science fiction um in, you know, in the U.S., you know, like oh, it, man. It, I'm have to it watch is very this. much given the credit. It you've you've probably seen the poster at some point. Oh yeah, of the the woman in the robot suit, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can visualize it right now. I just haven't seen the movie. Yeah. But that's interesting. It, you say that like kickstarted sci-fi revolution. Like I would, yeah. That's something I definitely want to see now. Oh yeah, it's um. You see, like, I mean, it when you watch it, you look at the robot and you're like, that's C-3PO. Yeah, that's, that's who C-3PO was based off of, was that robot right there. Um, they had a lot of really dark themes. I, we're getting so off fucking base right now, but, but they Scott had like, a ton and pop of dark. culture go together. <laughs> um, tons of dark themes, like really, really dark, like uh, anti-hero, you know, stuff. In, like it was, you look at that movie and you're like, you can see bits and pieces of all the really popular like science fiction franchises um, in the world these days or like the really, really big, you know, like you see all of it in this film. Like you can pick and pick out specific stuff. So it is a, if you can find it, I don't know where you would find it online these days, but if you can find it, you should absolutely watch it. Uh, I, I think bet I watched Amazon's it on, got it. They got everything. Yeah, I think I, I think I watched it on Amazon most recently but i remember i was drawing with it too so i was watching but I, and then i was drawing different versions of it oh uh, man i'd love to see that artwork from it it's i mean it's really messy and i was doing it with a marker so like it's not very distinct or anything but it it still is some of my best work some of my best sketches i think i've done you know in a long time so anyway uh back on point holograms science fiction movie <laughs> the, the rotating holograms um that's what I would love to see in a skydive um, is like a small group, 10 or 20 pe- small group, 10 or 20 people of uh, a specific formation, multi-level formation, but watching people fly on a specific pattern, like the, like the chain of people is essentially mm-hmm. constantly moving and constantly rotating. I've seen versions of it where like in the tunnel where they do it with like maybe eight people, you know, um, but I would love to see something like that moving around a static base you know I don't know what you would call it I don't know but I would just love to see like an intricate very very intricate like tight group of people doing that I don't know that would be very interesting uh discipline have you ever seen any of the mock tomb videos no uh they were uh a team out of Dubai right when uh the whole Dubai revolution kicked off uh, Mm um mock tomb they were like the official free fly team of Scott of Dubai and I, th- I think it was four or six guys, but they were basically doing, you know, like when you fly in the tunnel and you do these crazy movements and all this stuff and you feel so precise and you take mm-hmm. it to the sky and it's like, oh my God, we're 50 feet apart from each other. And you start to realize like, oh, the tunnel is just teaching you the concepts of skydiving. It's not skydiving. Mm-hmm. But these yeah. guys were doing 
like tunnel dive flows in the sky. Like they're flying dynamic lines. They're doing like over unders and layouts and all this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Not necessarily around a static base, but it was a lot of things that you could just take a snapshot of it and change the mm-hmm. background and be like, oh, these guys are in the wind tunnel. And yeah. uh, that seems like kind of up the alley that you're discussing. But I know yeah. the reason that doesn't happen on uh, on a grander scale is because that is way hard. Like those dudes were like maybe six of the best skydivers in the world at the time. And they were the only people doing stuff like that because the coordination is so difficult. How do you spell this team name? Uh, I think it is M-A-K-T-O-U-M. Moktum, I believe. Okay. I'm going to go look some of it up. If it's online, I'm going to find it. Oh, yeah, you'll be able to find it. Uh, Mike Wittenberg was kind of like the the okay. leader of it, making all the videos and I'm assuming organizing a lot of it. Yeah. I've never met him, but I'm excited to maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> someday. Someday. Uh, all right. Cool. Um, that kind of that kind of wraps up a lot of the questions I had about this event. Like, do you have anything you'd like to add about this? Like, any specific thing you want to talk about in relation to this event? I think the last thing would be I had this. Uh, I, I don't think that this is unique to me, but um, I had this thought. I was on like the third load. Okay, so this was the the first one where Andy was like, "Hey, you can do a sit fly." slot don't fuck this up and uh <laughs> he didn't actually say that to me but it was implied um but <laughs> i had this thought on the way to altitude like i was just sitting there visualizing eyes closed and i had a flashback to one of my aff jumps it's hard to say which one but just like the general feeling that i felt sitting in the plane riding up to altitude there's so many parallels you know like on aff you're doing the same thing they're training you right from the beginning to dirt dive this stuff and and to visualize and so I was kind of already moving down that same path, but I had a flashback to that and how scared I was and, you know, performance anxiety, but also just like skydiving is new and you're not exactly sure exactly what the risk of death is. You know, it's there, but you're not, <laughs> you don't have a finely, it seems way, way, way higher than it actually is. So yeah. I had that going through my mind. And then I just had like this, this kind of like, fast forward flash all the way through my skydiving career and thinking about like times that I almost died in skydiving people I've known that have died, uh, how that affected like my safety mindset all the way up and everything that played a part in getting me to that point. And then when I opened my eyes, I was like, Holy shit, I can't believe I'm sitting on these, this plane with all these people, like the people that are in every single magazine, you know, they're, basically like all the, the the leaders and pioneers of free flying in the sport right now and it was just a a really awesome feeling and one of those things that maybe like like revitalized my love of the sport like all over again mm-hmm. realizing that that's like this is something that's like available to me now and uh it's a really good motivation for anyone out there to just like keep doing this stuff because <laughs> you can get any any person can get on yeah. that plane eventually. And mm-hmm. uh, that was on top of the skydives. That was like one of the coolest uh, kind of memories and experiences I've had in the sport was that whole cool. flash in my mind on that, on that plane ride. Core memory. Exactly. Core, core memory. memory. It's man. yellow, just like inside out. <laughs> it's yellow. <laughs> it can't 
be blue. It has to be yellow. Yeah, exactly. That's a yellow one. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. So are we going to see more things from you, like, in the near future? Is this going to kickstart, you know, new adventures more regularly for you? Yeah, it's hard to get out there as as regularly as I'd like, but um, I'm definitely planning to go to this event again next year, and we'll see what happens. Okay. Got, I got kids. It's hard to say. Yeah, no. But I'll do what I can. Yeah, and it like they're still really little, so it's it's hard. It's hard to make. It's hard time to get away. away. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Well, fingers crossed. Like I hope you. Uh, I hope you get to keep um, hopping on this. Uh, this train of, of new adventures and new exciting, you know, events. Uh, it's fantastic to see for you. So I'm happy for you, man. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Uh, side note though. So this is going to completely deviate, deviate from echelon. I am so pumped about this and I'm, I'm probably going to drop this episode sooner rather than later. I've got a few on the back burner, but, um, I mean, so skydive Midwest, uh, Keith George, uh, pulled me aside a couple weeks ago and said we have this pod lab <laughs> we have this pod lab uh that's that's just available his teammate matt congdon at some point put it together and was not able to continue his podcast which is called the beer light so if you, if you ever want to go and watch or listen to that you should go and listen to that uh he was not able to continue for whatever reason, and um, it's just everything's been sitting there. So they're allowing me access to uh, to this podcast lab, um, soundproofed. You know, like all the equipment's there. Like That's I get to awesome. learn how to how to use a whole bunch of new equipment. Actually, I've been testing and like playing with it. I got a um, mixer board. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, so it's a pretty it's a pretty small version of like a mixer, but like you know being able to record with multiple mics all at the same time and like, you know, checking levels and all like it's, this has very much been an experiment so far and a pretty basic like method of recording. But now this next, uh, all this new equipment, you know, I have to figure out how to learn it or, you know, it's forcing me to learn to, to, to use it essentially. Uh, but we have, we've been brainstorming, you know, as a group of like fun things that people would want to hear, you know, on the podcast and one of the one of the ladies here on the drop zone had this great idea she's a I guess I don't know how she would want me to say this a doctoral candidate she's gonna be a doctor in like two weeks <laughs> like she's graduating oh, you know like she's finishing all of it so she'll be an ER doctor like skydiving it's all brain surgeons and dirt yeah bags. <laughs> that's that's really it isn't it <laughs> uh but anyway she had this great idea of like talking about um uh, the oxytocin spike that mm. happens or the oxytocin burst that happens when you fall in love with your instructor. No, oh, classic. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. We are so going to talk about that. And she, oh, she basically was like, she's like, yeah, you feel like you're in love with them now. <laughs> but I give it a day and you come back and you'd be like, ah, I don't, I don't. Oh, it's probably great <laughs> advice for people to hear. So, like you're not in love with your dirtbag instructor who lives in a trailer. He's not a brain surgeon. You're not. You're not in love with them. You're just experiencing an oxytocin spike based on all the things that are happening to you right now. I would love to hear that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So, so we're gonna chat about that next week. Actually, uh, I gotta do some test recording on my own um, in there, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna record that. I'm so pumped. I'm so excited for that one. Actually, oh. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll definitely be tuning yeah. in for that. That being said, though, like, man, this has been a lot of fun. 
thank you for like thank you for reaching out first of all like about wanting to talk about this i'm glad you have an opportunity to talk about something that very clearly made you like this excited thanks for having me on again uh that being said though we're gonna wrap this up we're gonna wrap this episode up uh thank you so much josh again um to everybody else thank you for listening be safe blue skies have fun good night